Open your Bible with me, if you would, over to the book of Romans. So how many people, so several weeks ago when I was here with you, by the way, it's good to be home. There's no place like home. You know, and I think I say that each time I come back, but I'm telling you, when I, there's no church I'd rather be at than this one in the whole wide world. And so uh, it's so full of, of my people, God's people, and um, just people that are full of God. And so it is a place I love to be. How many of you read through the book of Romans since I suggested that the other week? Raise your hands real high. Okay, there's, there's a number of you. I, I thought I was maybe more persuasive than I was, that not more hands are up. But you still have time. That's the good news. You can still read through Romans and because uh, we're going to continue. I'm kind of teaching in a way that I've never taught before. And that is, is just going through a book verse by verse. And um, we're going to... So in some verses we won't spend much time other than just reading it. Other verses we may spend extended amount of time on. And um, so we're going to continue to work our way through Romans. <clears throat> Before I get into any of that, I need to give you uh, an update of my, my uh, flight lessons, and I successfully received my pilot's license last Saturday, a week ago today, and you know, it really is a testimony of, for me, it was stepping out on the water and believing God and, and putting your action where your faith is, right? And um, being able to do something that's difficult in a very short amount of time. I had, uh, the training was, the flying part was easy. It was all the regulations and rules and all the book things that you have to memorize and know that could get you into trouble. Because when the test day comes, you get one wrong, you fail. There's no, there's no mercy for any wrong, right? You got to get it 100% right and the, and the flight as well. And so um, I did my ground written test out there. Um, that one, you, you have to have a 70% to pass. I got an eight, uh, 87%, which they thought was good. And then we proceeded on with everything else. And um, I'm not going to lie, it was difficult, right? But God, right, is able to help us, helped me do what needed to be done. And... Um, there was, uh, the first week was um, sailing right along. We got into the second week, and I started getting really short on sleep, and so the Lord just helped me more. We had, we had um, took off, you have to do some uh, certain number of cross-country flights, but they have to also be at night, some of them. And so we'd take off one evening, uh, so you have to wait till it gets dark, right, so it's already late. And now you take off, and so you're going to do a night cross-country flight. You come back, and then most times I had the airplane in the air by 6 in the morning. So you up real early, right? And then study in the afternoons and evenings. And Well, this night we went to go fly, and we were flying to Moab, Utah. And um, before, as we were getting closer to the airport, we checked the weather. And here the weather had completely changed from what it was when we'd left. And uh, it was like 40-mile-an-hour gusts straight across the runway. And so we're like, well, we can't land there. So we turn around, fly all the way back. So we had a night cross country that didn't count, right? I mean, the time counts for flying, but not for checking the box of a night cross country flight. So we get back real late that night. And so low on sleep, a night or two later, we decide we're going to do it again. 
And so this time we take off, we fly, I'm flying, and I have an instructor with me and as a safety pilot. And so I fly to Moab, Utah, we touch down, we're rolling down the runway and have a blowout. So, <clears throat> so here we are stuck in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a runway. Not a place you want to be hanging out, right? And so we get out and we push this thing. I don't know, between one and 2,000 feet, pushed and pulled this thing until our legs were jelly and we could barely walk to get this thing off the runway. So then we called the owner of the company because he wasn't the one that was with me that night and, um, and told him what had gone on. So he got into my father-in-law's plane, flew over to us, brought a tire, brought um, all the tools we needed, and, and we changed the tire and then flew home. So by the time I got to bed that morning, it was 4 a.m. So... That started stacking up on me, as you can imagine, and um, so I say all of that to say that um, I still did it in 12 days, and um, there's many, many uh, instructors that say, when they heard that, they said, well, that's not possible. Um, It is. We just did. The Lord helped me, you know, and I give him all the credit, but you still have to be willing to get out of the boat, right? And so... uh, Get out of the plane. Uh, we weren't doing any parachuting. I was telling someone about it, and they were like, oh, that was a real crash course. I'm like, well, that's a terrible pun. <laughs> um, so as we go through Romans, there's some things in here that um, as we get toward the end of chapter 4, um, I want to share with you on the bigger picture on flying and the why and what I believe the Lord is doing and where He's taking us and and just give you some of the bigger picture of that. Um, But it's going to, I think after we make it through uh, chapter 4 of Romans, it'll help us to understand some of the things that I'm going to say in regards to that. So let's start in chapter 3. So we had gone through Romans chapter 1 which is where Paul, um, he greets the people, he talks about his desire to come, and then he, he lays out the Gentile world's guilt, right? That they are guilty before God. And then in chapter 2, he goes right into the Jews' guilt that they had, right? And that they were guilty before God, and that, and that, that they were guilty under the law, the Gentile world was guilty outside of the law in that regards. And then in chapter 3, he just makes it real clear, in case anyone's confused, he's the whole world is guilty. Right? Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so he's laying out the need for a Savior. You read chapter 1, 2, and 3, and you'll see that real clearly, that we all need a Savior. So I want to begin reading back in chapter 3, just for context's sake, for chapter 4, in verse 21. So Paul is speaking to them about the whole world's guilt, and then he makes this statement. But now, everyone say now. Now, Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. That would be by the Old Testament. That was their Bible of that time. It says the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction, both Jew and Gentile, see? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented Him 
as the mercy seat, or you could say the atonement, or propitiation, depending on the translation you're reading. God presented him as the mercy seat by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, that'd be now, so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. Did you know that faith is a law? Yeah, it's a law, a law of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then nullify the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And you know that the law is fulfilled by the law of love. The law of love. In Romans it says it. Jesus said it. But in Romans 13 you'll read how that the whole law is fulfilled in this one thing. If you love your neighbor as yourself, then you'll fulfill all the other commandments. <clears throat> so let's keep reading here in chapter 4 because this wasn't written in chapters and verses. It was written as a letter. Continuous thinking. What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. See, Abraham was not justified by works. He was justified by faith. He wasn't justified by what he did. Right? So, much, so many times people think that they will, if they act right, they'll have faith, and it's completely in reverse of that. We have faith, and therefore we act. Therefore we take action. I don't mean act as in pretend, I mean we take action. And you know, just something to, to consider, because self-righteousness is thinking that it's based on works, right? Self-righteousness. Because we do have righteousness, we're told to be righteous. There's the righteousness of man. But then the word says that our righteousness is like a dirty rag and compared to God's. Right? So his right standing is what we must have to be able to walk in victory. Well, Satan's masterpiece is the Pharisee. It's not the prostitute. Right? Satan's masterpiece is the Pharisee. The, the self-righteous one. Because that will separate you from God just as much as any other sin. And so the prostitute is out, is, is obvious. But the self-righteous one, the Pharisee, is not so obvious and therefore often ends up teaching and leading others astray as well. The prostitute's not out there pretending to be acting on God's behalf. The Pharisee is, right? And so this is, this is important why he's making this distinction. He says if Abraham was justified by what he did, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. You know, I'll just paraphrase it and say it this way. Abraham believed what God said, therefore God considered him right. Right? 
right before God. Abraham was right before God because he accepted and believed what the Lord said. Now to the one, verse 4, who works, pay is not credited as a gift, right? It's owed to you, but it's something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Just as David, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes out of Psalms 32, verses 1 and 2, what David said. He said, Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. So Paul's talking about Abraham being justified by faith, not by works. And now he uses David to prove his point. Because David was under the law, right? When he's, when he's referring to Abraham, this Abraham was before the law, right? So now just to be clear so that you're not mistaken, now he uses someone who was under the law, David, and you know the sin he committed, and yet this is what David said about it. So in verse 9, Is this blessing only for the circumcised then, or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. Now, for you young people in here, if you're not clear on what credited means, let's say it a different way. Um, Faith was, put it like this. If I went down to the gas station and I said, hey, I'm going to have these young people from Church of the Word come down there and they're all going to want to buy some snacks and soft drinks. So here's my credit card to pay whatever they come down here and get. All right? So the young people go off. They go marching down there. What, see, what was credited to you was the right to get something now. The bill, the credit card's there. It's now credited to your account. When you come in, it's considered to be yours and you don't have to pull any money out of your pocket. Let's say it a different way. Credited would mean if your brother or sister, if your mom or dad tells you to vacuum the floor, and your brother or sister does it for you, but you get the credit for it. That's what being credited the righteousness of God is. It's not because we were so right, but it's because God is right and gave it to us in spite of us not deserving it. All right? So faith... That's believing God was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised, so that the righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. Now just to be clear, from the time that God showed up, gave Abraham promises, and that he believed God, and it was counted as righteousness to him for believing it, from that time until Abraham was circumcised was a minimum of 13 years. Plenty of time had passed by, and Abraham was not circumcised yet. 
So it was well before that covenant of circumcision was given. We'll talk more about that here uh, in a moment. We'll go to Genesis and read some things. Verse 13, for the promise to Abraham or his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. See, the law came 400 years after he believed God and it was considered righteousness to him. 400 plus years later, now the law shows up to be a schoolmaster and just show them how badly they really do need a Savior. Right? And it says here that... um, his descendants would inherit okay, through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Faith is always now. It's always present. It's always immediate. Okay, it believes. Verse 14, if those who are of the law are heirs, so the Jews, if the Jews are heirs, was Abraham a Jew? Abraham was not a Jew. He never heard of that phrase his entire life. Jews, that word comes from the tribe of Judah. And it was just shortened for that. The Jews, tribe of Judah. Right? And so that came from Isaac's, uh, not Isaac, Jacob's 12 sons. One of them was Judah. So um, that name was derived from Abraham's great-grandson. All right? So he's not a Jew. Right? He's a Gentile just like you and I. Now, is he chosen by God? Yes, absolutely. So when we look at the Jews and we say, well, they were the chosen people of God. Well, yes, and Abraham was their father, right? So he was of their bloodline and he was chosen by God. But it wasn't until later that they were called Jews. It was a trick question, but that was fun anyway. (laughs) All right, verse 14. For uh, if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise is nullified. Because the law produces wrath, and where there is no law, there's no transgression. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace to guarantee it to all the descendants, not only to the one who is of the law, but also to the one who is of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. Let's go back to Genesis before I go any further here. And let's read a little bit about Abraham. Let's look at something. And where we're going to begin reading about him in Genesis 14, he was still called Abram at this point. His name had not been changed. And back in chapter uh, 13, uh, well really, um, chapter 11, it begins speaking of him. And then chapter 12, in the first couple of verses, uh, I'll just read that to you. So uh, let's go to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and he was 75 years old when they left Haran. Now, we'll jump forward. In chapter 13, Abraham and Lot separate. Lot goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah. He lives in Sodom and Gomorrah, the wicked city. Abraham, on the other hand, um, hears word one day that Sodom and Gomorrah had been attacked by all these other kings, and the whole region, Sodom was a town, Gomorrah was a town, Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't the same town, 
and then there was other towns around them, they all got captured and carried away by these enemy kings. And so Abram gets together his guys, and um, they go after them and liberate them. So as they come back, someone else shows up on the scene, a king named Melchizedek, the king of Salem, king of peace. And we'll begin reading about him in verse 18, and let's see what happens here. Now remember, God has already promised to make Abraham great. Has already promised that I'm going to bless the entire earth through your seed. Or through you. So in verse 18 it says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God most high. He blessed him and said, this is what Melchizedek said, Abraham is blessed by God most high, creator or possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Or maybe the translation you're reading says tithe. He gave him a tithe of everything. Did you know that the word tithe means tenth? People say, how do you get to 10%? Well, that's what the word tithe means. It means 10%. So he gives him a tithe of everything. Now, why would Abram do that? Because of his heart, yeah. Because he was grateful for the victory that he'd had. And because Melchizedek was a priest to God Most High. He represented God. So Abram is giving to God, to the Lord. Right? He is giving a tithe of everything that he had just gotten and captured in this this conquest of these kings. And he gives a, a tithe to the Lord through his priest Melchizedek. You know, this was... 400 plus years before the law, before they were instructed that they must tithe, right? During the law, they were told, you've got to tithe. And if you don't, you're cursed. And then, now we know that we're released from the curse of the law, yet we also know that if you want to walk in the blessing, then you also still need to return to him what is his. Because in in Malachi, what Jen was quoted earlier tonight You know, God said in the middle of a whole book about tithing, he makes this statement, I'm God and I don't change, right? So he didn't change with the new covenant that the tithe is no longer for today. I'm I'm way off of my subject, but that's okay. Because see, some people want to teach that tithing is not for today, we just give offerings. No, that's not true. Jesus instructed, well, this is what Jesus said about the tithe. Jesus said when he was talking to the Pharisees, He said, man, you guys tithe on everything. And he goes down this list of things. All these herbs and different things that they tithe on. And then he didn't say, you guys need to quit that and pay attention to what's important. He didn't say that. He said, you do well, but you're neglecting these things over here. Now, you could say, yeah, but Jesus was talking to Old Covenant people. That's right. Jesus taught Old Covenant people New Covenant principles. He did not teach Old Covenant principles. He did not. He taught New Covenant principles. In fact, for example, Old Covenant said, an eye for an eye. But Jesus said, love your neighbor. See, New Covenant principle. Talking to Old Covenant people, but teaching them New Covenant principles. So if he's teaching New Covenant principles, he wouldn't sit here and say, oh, you guys do well in tithing. He would say, that's not necessary. This is the real deal over here. But he didn't. In Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7, it says that here are men that die, the priests, 
or the pastors or the church or whatever. Here, men that die receive tithes, but there, he receives it. In other words, in heaven, he's the one receiving it, just like God was receiving it when Abram gave the tenth to the priest of God. And it says, there he receives it, and it testifies that he lives. Your tithe testifies that you believe God lives. Now, if you say, yeah, well, I don't believe all of that. Okay, that's all right. That'll go home with you and the Lord. I don't care about your tithe. All right? I, and I never tell. I've had people come and ask me and say, hey, um, where should we put our tithe? You know, I, I kind of think that I was thinking about sending it to this other place, but, but should we, you know, other people teach that you should tithe at your home church? Well, under the law, they were told to tithe at the place where they met. And in, in the, the, not everyone gathered together at the temple, you understand. So at the place where they went to their priest, that's where they were supposed to bring the tithe so that there's food in that house. And then they would actually take a tithe of the tithe and give it to the high priest. And that was their financial substance, right? So, why did I say all of that? <clears throat> tithe. Talking about tithe. A priest to God. So, oh, I was answering the question, should you bring your tithe to this house? You take your tithe where the Lord tells you to take it. I don't expect any one of you to put your tithe here. What I expect you to do is hear from the Lord and put it where He tells you to put it. Now, I know that he's probably going to tell most of you to put it here. Because there's needs here, right? You're getting fed here. And so, I know that he'll probably do that, but I'll never tell you to do that. And if you choose to say, well, I'm going to put it over at that other place, that's fine. You're serving the Lord. You're serving him. That's between you and him. I don't sit in judgment of you, right? Okay, so that's just clearing the weeds for anyone who gets uptight about the tithe. Nobody was uptight about the tithe that I'm aware of, but we're just preempting it, all right? <clears throat> Listen, I don't like to preach to problems. But I can't tell you how many times I have laid something like this out, and then a short time later, a problem arrives. Now I could refer back to that teaching, back to what the Word says, back to what we've already established, right? And it's not me preaching at them, right? I don't like to uh, preach to problems. All right, we were in verse, so verse 21. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people, but take the possessions for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand in an oath to the Lord God Most High. This is the first time Abram refers to God as God Most High, because that's how Melchizedek had referred to him. This guy that's a priest to the Lord, who he'd given a tenth to, referred to God as God Most High. So now Abram says, Hey, I just made an oath with God Most High. You know, it just happened that he gave this tithe just a little bit ago. So now he's, he's saying to the king, No, I've raised my hand in an oath to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, so that I will not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that belongs to you so that you can never say I made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the servants have eaten. But as for the share of the men who came with me, Aner, Eshkul, and Mamre, they can take their share. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, they came to him because of what he did. You understand. One plus one makes two. Tithing to the Lord, making an oath to him, 
results in him providing for you. And that's exactly what happened here. Because again, it wasn't written in chapter and verse, right? So after these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. The word reward means pay. It, it literally means money. All right? Your reward will be very great. Or the more literal translation would be, I am your shield and I am the one rewarding you greatly. I am the one paying you. Let's say it that way. All right? So, again, this is long before the law. The law wasn't in effect. Abraham's operating by faith. It's considered righteousness to him. God is the same. He doesn't change. It'll work the same for us today. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. He wasn't saying that the Lord couldn't give him possessions. The Lord had just said, I'll give you all these possessions, this pay. But he's saying, what's the point, Lord? Because I don't have any bloodline to inherit this. It's going to go to a slave. So what's the point, Lord? Excuse me. Now, the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. See, sometimes the Lord needs to take you to a different place, a different location to get you to see differently. You ever notice that when you go out of your way for something, sometimes you just see things differently. And the Lord wanted to expand his vision and what he's seeing on the inside. So to give him an illustration, look at the stars. Count them if you can. It says, your offspring are going to be that many. So he's getting a vision on the inside of him. When the Lord speaks, his word goes on the inside of you. And and, and in Romans later, we'll read how that faith comes from hearing the word of God. So when that faith, that word is released into Abraham, Abraham becomes pregnant with the word of God, faith wells up, and now an incubation starts on the inside of him. This is how the word of God works in you. So he says, look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Now here's this famous verse 6 that just gets quoted again and again in the New Testament. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, believed what he said, and God said, he's right. He's right before me, he's right. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? And I was talking about the land. He says to him, well, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, young pigeon. And so he proceeds to lay out and say, you know, cut him in half. And they make this whole blood covenant with each other. So that happens here in chapter 15. This is before Ishmael. This is before Isaac. This is before circumcision. This is before any of that. All right? He has a covenant with God for the land. He has a covenant with God about his offspring being as many as the stars. He believed God and it was counted to him 
as righteousness. If you look in chapter 16, that's where Ishmael comes on the scene. And some years are ticked by now. See, some of you have promises of the Lord given to you, and years have been starting to erode, right? And you begin to wonder, well, did I really hear from the Lord? Did the Lord say it? Well, here is this is what's happening with them, because Sarah goes, you know, here, here, why don't you take my handmaiden, and uh, you do whatever you want with her, and have a baby with her, that way you have a bloodline. Okay, fine. So he does that, and... Um, Anyhow, in verse 16, it says Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. 86 years old. So I don't know how much time chapter 16 from 15 to 16 or from 14, 15, and 16 was. But there's probably some years in there too because he was 75 when he left. And so now he's 86. So this is 11 years later. All right? Now... Between 16 and 17, 13 years pass. Because the next verse says, Abraham was 99 years old. So 13 years pass by. And the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell face down and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. That's what the name Abraham means, father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you, your future offspring, throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and, your, and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. God also said to Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. And he goes into circumcision and so this is where this gets implemented. Many years after the word of the Lord was given to Abraham several times and Abraham believed God and it was credited as righteousness long before circumcision showed up. All right, so then he goes on, and in, in, uh, finally, if you're reading through Genesis, you'll see that in chapter 21 is when Isaac is born. All right, let's go back to Romans now. So now you have, see, Paul speaking to the crowd that he's speaking to in this letter, the group in Romans, they're, they're Gentiles and they're Jews, but they know, you can just read this and understand that they know the Torah, the, the old covenant law. They know these stories and things. And when Paul just refers to something, they understand the context, what that means, and all of that, right? So he can just throw out a line and they're right with him. Well, I think you could too in this house, but just for in case someone's here that doesn't, that's why I went back and read those pieces of Abraham that he keeps referring to. Now, let's come back and <clears throat> verses 13 down to the end of the chapter, he's talking about the promises realized through faith, or they're granted through faith, that we have access, we lay claim, we, we take these promises that they're only received through and by faith. 
In verse 16, it says, This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be... Okay, let's just make it more simple. What's faith? Just simply believing what he said. Believing, if he says it, then it's true. It's true. I accept it. That's faith. The promise is by faith so that it may be according to grace. The promise is received by faith, operates by grace, and is guaranteed to all the descendants. In fact, you can hold your finger here. I'll read a couple of scriptures to you out of 1 John. You know, the Word of God always carries within it the empowering grace of God to do it or to walk in it. No command of God is hard. Jesus said His commands are easy. Why are the commands of God easy? In 1 John chapter 5, it says that this, partway through verse 3, he says, and His commands are not, everyone say not. His commands are not a burden. They're not a burden. Why are they not a burden? Well, verse 4 tells us why. Because all that has been born of God conquers or overcomes the world. His word, His commands are born of God. They overcome the world and the flesh and all the things that are in that realm. His word carries within it the empowering ability, it's called grace, to walk in it, to do it. When the Lord says, go get your pilot's license and do it in a short time, He gives you, that's His word came to me, right? And His grace was in His word to accomplish it. It says, because all, now some translations, including this one, say because everyone who has been born of God. Most translations say that. There's only a few that don't. Um, but the word everyone who, it, it means all. You look up the word all, that's, that's the word, all. So everything that's from God, all that's from God. So it's not talking just people. It's talking about His words, His commands, His, his thoughts, His Everything from God has been, that has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world. Our faith. Our faith. Faith comes from hearing the Word of God. The Word of God comes on the inside of you, impregnates you with His idea, with His will, with His thought. Faith rises up out of that world overcoming, conquering faith. Right? So when God tells you to do something, no, it's not hard. No, it's not. You might think it's hard. You might think it's impossible. But don't you dare say that. You open your mouth and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am well able to accomplish that. I refused to open my mouth in opposition to learning at such an accelerated pace in getting my pilot's license. Oh, there was times I felt like saying, I don't know that I can do this. I'm, there was times that I would sit at my computer and looking at these things and, and they would ask me a question and I would say, I don't know. Oh, stop it, Sid. I do know. I have this answer. I'd talk just like that to myself. I do know. Thank you, Lord, that you give me the answers and you bring all things to my remembrance as I need them. He makes me quick and sharp, and I'm able to do all things as He strengthens me. I just talk that way to myself. And so then I'd go and apply myself, and I refused to say anything contrary to what I believed the Lord wanted me to do and would enable me to do. 
Let's start in 16 again. This is why the promise is by faith. Right? So that it may be according to grace. That's the empowerment that comes in the promise. To guarantee it to all the descendants, not only the one who is of the law, but also to the one who is of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. So that's what the promise was to him. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. Do you see that? God calls things into being that be not, <laughs> that are not. He calls life into dead things. Remember the prophet Ezekiel? He's standing out there with all the dry bones laying across the valley, and he prophesies, and bone comes to bone, sinew, flesh covers them, skin covers them, but they're all laying there dead still. And then the Lord says, prophesy again. So he prophesies, and life comes into them, and they all stand up, a living army. Well, he, called, he gave life to things that were dead. And that's not any more difficult for him today than it was then. And there was times my brain felt dead, right, as I was doing that study. But he gives life, and he calls things into existence that don't exist. So I just figure I'll do what he does. I'm going to call into existence what doesn't exist. I am well able, I am sharp and smart, and I'm able to do this, and I would say these things. You know, I was, I had prompt, one of the things that I had determined that I would do is that as the Lord, um, as I knew I was going to be very, very busy, and it's like trying to take a drink from a fire hose, right? And so I, I decided the one thing I'm going to make sure that happens every day is I'm going to have time with the Lord. I'm not going to allow my busyness to, to cut out my, my quiet time with Him, getting into the Word with Him, and talking with Him. Because that's the one thing that will make me able to do all these other things. And even if I'm short on time and don't have time, that will multiply my time. Because the Word makes us quick. It sharpens us. It brings life into us. Jesus is the Word, right? And so, um, speaking of calling things that be not as though they be, I, the Lord had prompted me, um, you, you get into Psalms 119 and just read and reread it over the next two weeks. So that's what I was doing. I was reading through Psalms 119 and then read through it again and meditated on it. And you know how many scriptures are in there about how the Word gives us light and the Word makes us sharp and gives us understanding and gives us wisdom? I mean, it was awesome. And then I get a call at about day three from Pastor Kurt, Kurt Owen. And he says to me, he says, yeah, um, I've been standing, I've been praying a lot for you, and I've been standing on a promise. And by the way, I know that many of you were, were praying and, and asking the Lord to help me, I really, truly appreciate it. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, because he did. And he says, I've been, I've been praying a lot for you, and the scripture that I've been standing on is Psalms 119.99. That was a nice confirmation. So what does Psalms 119.99 say? It says this, and I stood on this the whole time. I have more insight than all my instructors, because your decrees are my meditation." Right? I have more understanding than my teachers because your word gives that to me. And so I called things into existence that didn't exist. You know, Jesus operated this way. You know, when in, in John 17, in verse 4, I believe it is, where he is getting ready to pray for himself, pray for the disciples, and pray for the believers that are to come, he makes this statement. Well, I'll just read it to you because I don't know.
He says, I have glory. He's talking to the Father. I have glorified you on the earth. Is that true? Yeah, he did. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Had he completed it yet? Hadn't gone to the cross yet? Hadn't died yet? Hadn't suffered in hell for your sin and mine yet? He hadn't done any of that yet. So he hadn't completed yet what God had called him to do. But he's talking to God saying, I've completed what you've called me to do. What is he doing? He's, these are words of faith. He's believing that I'm going the whole way. It's as good as done. That's what faith is. It's as good as already happened. Now it's just a matter of time, walking it out. And that's what he was saying right there. And he called things into existence. He called the completion of it in existence. Back here in Romans 4, all right, talking about the promises by faith, grace is in the promise, and this God in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. Verse 18, he believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations. That was what was, was said. He's going to become the father of many nations. That's the word, all right? So he believes, hoping against hope, that he, so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. What does it mean to hope against hope? I want to read it to you in several other translations. Listen to this one. This is the NIV. Against all hope, Abraham, hope in hope, believed. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Let's look at the, uh, the message translation. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. So that's just everyday language now, right? Everything looked hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, decided to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. How awesome is that? And so he was made father of a multitude of people. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big fa family, Abraham. The International Standard Version says, hoping in spite of hopeless circumstances. You understand, I've, I've said this many times, but just in case you've forgotten, I'll repeat it. You know, it's okay to repeat oneself. You know, Peter said, I remind you always of these truths. So it wasn't the first time they'd heard it from him. But hope in the Bible isn't used like we use the word hope today. Today we use the word hope like I wish. It's, it's wishfulness. I hope it doesn't rain. We're saying, you know, I wish it doesn't rain. We don't have faith that it's not going to rain. We just hope it doesn't. We wish, I hope I'm going to be on time. What we're saying is I want to be on time. Not sure it's going to happen though. We're just going to hope. And then people will say things like, let's just hope and pray. Yeah, let's not. Unless you're using the word hope in a biblical sense, because let's pray in faith. Now you can absolutely hope and pray in a biblical sense. All right? Because the word hope in the Bible means confident expectation. Confident expectation. So the ISV says, hoping in spite of hopeless circumstances, he believed that he would become the father of many nations, just as he had been told. This is how many descendants you will have. The Passion Translation, against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise and expected 
God to fulfill it. See, there's the expected part. Confidently expected God to fulfill it. He took God at his word, and as a result, he became the father of many nations. God's declaration over him came to pass. Your descendants will be so many that they will be impossible to count. And then finally, the TS-2009 is a very literal, one of the more literal translations. It says it this way. Who against all expectation did believe in expectation so that he should become father of many nations according to what was said so shall your seed be all expectation against all expectation he did believe in expectation hoping against hope believing against impossible circumstances you could say so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith. Now verse 19 is an interesting verse. It is, um, this translation and many of the modern translations will say he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. Some of the older translations, I say older, older like in King James, older English translations, say that he did not consider those things. Some of the newer translations, because they're basing it on some of the new manuscripts they've found since the King James was made, they say that he says um, that he did consider it, but didn't falter in faith. So the thing I want to point out, I don't think it's so important which way is right, whether the knot is there or the knot isn't there. What is important, either way, he was in faith. You can be in faith being aware of the circumstances. And it's at that point that you have to choose to not consider the circumstances now. You're aware of them, but now you're not going to meditate on those. But you meditate on what the word is that was spoken to you. So he did not weaken in faith when he considered not his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened, strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Why? Here, verse 21 answers it. Because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. He was fully convinced that what God said, he would also accomplish. And that fully convincedness in the Word of God brought strength to him. Strength to him. In fact, one of my favorite moments in the life of Paul is found in Acts chapter 27, verses 23 through 26. And the, you may think it's strange why I would choose the middle of a, a storm, why it's one of my favorite moments in Paul's life. It's because of something that he said. So he's He's out on this ship, they're, they're in this storm for two weeks, it looks utterly hopeless, against all hope, right? Much, I mean, he, Paul is the one who wrote Romans, he had an experience like what he was writing about on the way to see them, because he was headed to Rome. And, but when he wrote Romans, this experience, the shipwreck, he hadn't experienced it yet. Okay, so he's just going on Abraham and how things worked for Abraham. So now we see him out here on this shipwreck, and or it wasn't a shipwreck yet, um, but this storm for two weeks, and, and they've thrown everything aboard. They've thrown all—I mean, everything they can throw away, they've thrown away. 
And so then he says in verse 23, says, for, now remember, Paul had warned them, guys, we should not go on this trip. It's going to be disastrous. But they didn't listen to him because he's not a sailor. He's a preacher man. He makes tents. What does he know about the weather and about boats? And so they go on, right? So he's carried against his will into this situation. Notice he didn't just stand up and rebuke the storm like Jesus did. So he says in verse 23, Last night an angel of God, of the God I belong to and serve, stood by me. So he had a vision. And said, don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. And indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. You're in the middle of a storm. You've thrown out even your ability to steer the ship and all these things. You're, it looks like a lost cause. As lost as anything could possibly be lost. And now, oh, you're going to live? And everyone on the boat? Look at verse 25. He says, so take courage, men. What did, what, what did we read in Romans? That he believed God and that belief and that promise utterly convinced gave him strength. So he says here, take courage, men. So be strong. How are they going to do this? Because of the word of the Lord. He says, because I believe God that it will be just the way it was told to me. But we have to run aground on an island. That's the bad news. We have to have a wreck. But everyone's going to be fine. Lord's given everyone to me, and I believe God. He believed God, and I believe that was credited to him for righteousness as well. Anytime we believe God, it's credited as you being right. Because when you don't believe God, you're wrong. I mean, I don't know how to make it more simple than that. Believe him, you're right, righteous. All right, back to Romans. That, that statement of Paul's is, I believe, my favorite until I find a new favorite statement that Paul made. I believe God that it will be like he said it will be. All right? Verse 21, I want to read, I'll read verse 20 and 21 again because it was so much fun. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, even though it looked like it was an impossibility. I am an old man. My body don't even work that way anymore. Her body doesn't work that way anymore. We are way past having children. And you say there's going to be so many of us that we can't count it. It looks as impossible as impossible can look. But he didn't waver in unbelief at the circumstance of impossibility. Instead, he, believed, he says he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised he was also able to do. Therefore, here's that famous saying again, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, or here's why, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I mean, he just gets all revved up, doesn't he? And he's just saying, look, this faith, this God's ability coming to us, 
these promises, they, they strengthen us, and we're going to stand in this place of His ability. Now, we'll go on with chapter 5 um, another time. We're going to... Uh, I want to I talk to you, <clears throat> and now that I taught this, I want to tell you a little bit about the past, the present, and where I believe we're going in regards to flying and airplanes, and why, why did I go do that? Why did I put myself through something, uh, you know, in 12 days of getting my pilot's license? What, what's the plan? What's God up to? So let's back all the way up to before I was spirit-filled. I was, um, we were living in Colorado. I had my hardwood flooring business at the time. And my father-in-law has a uh, heavy equipment business where he buys and sells heavy equipment. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, he you know, was doing multi-million dollars of this every year. So he was wealthy. Business was going well. He has a bunch of other businesses and apartments and has invested in many things. He has several airplanes. He would fly to these auctions and look, be at these auctions, Richie Brother auctions and other auctions, buy equipment, fly home, you know, send it to, uh, he was a wholesaler. He'd send it to dealers, send a whole bunch of equipment into Mexico and other places, um, at one time, he was importing equipment from Japan. So he, he like, did a lot. What none of his two sons, my brother-in-laws, were interested in his business or in flying airplanes. But his son-in-law, me, was interested in both of those things. Who doesn't want to fly in airplanes? My way of thinking, but, you know, I, they didn't. So, yeah, my wife says, not me. <laughs> she grew up riding around in the airplane. So... Um, so we had conversations about it, and we talked about, so what he would like to do is for me to get my pilot's license and fly with him and then work with him in his business and then go on with it, right? This is an amazing opportunity. It's a multi-million multi dollar opportunity. There's only one problem, thank you. There's only one problem. Shortly after we'd had those conversations, we got spirit-filled. Not a problem. But when we got spirit-filled, it was also right in the middle of us suffering complete financial collapse of everything that we had going on. And at that point, I'd sold the business, and I was building apartments and other things. And it was when that whole credit freeze crisis happened. And because we got, were spirit-filled, my father-in-law felt like we were deceived and in deception, right? I mean, they loved the Lord. They just didn't understand some of the things that we were doing. And so they, he felt like, well, he doesn't want to do business, doesn't want to be in business, be unequally yoked with someone that is off into all that loony stuff, right? And so the opportunity was dead. And so, okay, I, I accepted that, and it's dead and gone, and, and I'm going to be a pastor anyway. I'm pastoring the church out there. We planted the church. Um, so that's not, you know, I'm not, obviously not going to do that business now. And so it's okay. And... One day I'm driving down the Lord, down the Lord, yeah, driving down the road, and the Lord says to me, He says, "Hey, that dream you had of flying, you need to not let go of that. You need to hang on to that because everything you had in your heart in regards to flying will still come to pass." Now, understand, in that moment, that's like telling a hundred-year-old man and a hundred-year-old woman they're going to have a baby. To me, I am almost a million dollars in debt at that point. Everything around me is crashed and burned. I we're believing God to put milk and eggs on the table, not 
to be getting pilot's license and flying airplanes. and I see zero path to that ever happening in that moment. And I said, okay, Lord, like Mary, so be it unto me. I mean, I don't see how, but if you say so, awesome, right? And so I just tucked that away in my heart that someday I'll still fly. And then years go by. Actually, I should tell you another part of this because this has something to do with it as well. Um, back before we were spirit-filled, back when all the dream of flying and all of that was still in, in happening, I went and took a lot of schooling for stock market trading, futures, current, at the Chicago Board of Exchange in Chicago, as well as at Wall Street here in New, or in New York, and at a place in Salt Lake City. And so I spent um, a lot of money on schooling and traveling and to those places and taking the schooling, learning how to trade. We started trading, and then we got into that whole financial collapse and our, our, the bank freezing our loans and our projects. So I emptied out my trading accounts and put them into our projects to try to finish them so that we could get renters in and, and you know, become solvent and be able to, to keep everything afloat. Well, long story short, it didn't work, so I just lost all my trading money and everything else. And so it takes money to trade. You know, you, the more money you have, the more money you can make. So it's difficult if you have just a little bit of money to trade and be successful. Well, so there was another dream of mine that had gone down the toilet. Because now we're believing God for milk and eggs. I certainly don't have several thousand dollars to begin trading again. And so that was something that I just um, released. And I don't know, probably will never trade again until... 2020, the beginning of 2020, and the Lord told me to open up an account and you begin trading in cryptocurrencies. Because all the training that I had learned works the exact, because we, we, I trade by charts, technical trading it's called. And so um, that will all work in the cryptocurrency market. So okay, so obediently to the Lord, um, I, I opened up the account, began trading. I took our money that we'd been saving all $6,000 of it that we'd been saving for a house, right? This is 2020, and uh, invested it, and um, it grew many times over. Okay, we've done very well in that trading. So I'll come back, and you'll understand why I shared all that with you, because that, that in and of itself for me personally is a redemption story. Of You know, I spent $50,000 in schooling plus traveling and all of that stuff, and then all these years later, now it is, it's been paying off. And so we're very grateful for that, right? So now we come uh, back to, the Lord had said, you know, hang on to that dream. So, okay, I tuck it away in my heart. Now years go by. We move in here, and again, I see zero path for all these years to why I should ever have my pilot's license. And it's not something that I want to go out and spend a bunch of money on for a hobby, Right, just so that I can say I can fly. What's the point of that? And so I never saw a reason to have my pilot's license as a pastor, as now, as living here, you know. And so last year in 2021, um, partway through the year, I was working out at the gym and I was listening to a sermon, as I usually do when I'm working out. And um, the speaker mentioned how they were believing God for. Um, back when they were believing God for this airplane, and he told a story about airplanes. And in that story, suddenly, what came alive on the inside of me was for the first time, just like crystal clear, how was I so dense to not see this before? I saw a path, 
on why I should have my pilot's license. I'm mean, like, it just came alive in me all of a sudden. And what came to my uh, understanding immediately was that, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that would benefit. You know, Pastor Dale would benefit to fly him places. Pastor Kurt Owen would benefit if someone could fly him places. Plus, as we as a church grow and plant churches and all this stuff, that would really benefit us as well to be able to reach places quickly. And so for the first time, I felt like I saw a glimmer of a reason why. Not, not anything to act upon, understand, just a hope that, oh, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe the Lord was right. And so I come home from the gym, and I tell her, we're sitting on the couch, I, I think I'm going to tell Jen, and she's going to poo-hoo on that, right? Because, no, this not, that's not normal for her, but yeah, right, like, our budget can handle that as well as, you know, church budget and on and on and on. So she's not likely to be in agreement with this wild idea, but I'm pretty sure it's the Lord. So I lay out everything that happened at the gym, word for word, and what I felt like the Lord showed me on the inside, and she's listening, and we're sitting there on the couch, and she gets all excited, and she's like, that's, that's the Lord. I feel really excited about that. I, I think that's right. And so now, it, you know, if I had pointy ears like a German shepherd, they would have went, whoop. Okay, now I'm listening, Lord. That, that's confirmation for me that she would think so too, right? While we're talking, my phone rings. It's Pastor Kurt Owen. It's not uncommon for him to call me. We talk to each other all the time. And um, so he calls, and uh, he says whatever reason he called. He talks to me a little bit about that. He's getting ready to go, and I said, hey, do you have another minute? I'd like to talk to you about something. He's like, yeah, sure. Now, understand that we had never, prior to this point, he and I had never talked about airplanes, never talked about a desire to fly, never talked about him flying or me flying, nothing like that, nothing of the sort, ever. And so I say, um, I'd like to ask you a question. He said, okay. And I said, have you ever, are you believing God for, or have you ever believed for an airplane or to get your pilot's license or for somebody to fly you? He says, I knew that's what you were going to ask me. Okay? Remember, he called in the middle of her and I's conversation. And, um, and the Lord just brings this up. He says, you know, he says, the truth is, I've had many people offer to fly me. I've had many people um, ask me to take me places and say they will. He said, and the truth is, I don't tell them this, but I haven't met anyone yet that I'd be willing to fly with. He says, but you know what's weird? The fact that you don't even know anything about flying is I would fly with you. <laughs> so I said, okay. I said, you know, I don't know what this is, but let's just pray about it and see what God says. I'm not committing to anything. I'm not promising anything. I'm not any of that. Let's just pray and ask the Lord um, if there's anything more he wants to tell us about it. Okay. So now we fast forward to February of this year when I went and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And if you remember, um, I'm not going to go into all the details of that blessing of how I arrived, but it was a blessing. It was 100% paid for by, other, by someone else that took me along and blessed me. But if you remember the night, uh, the, the last night I was here with you before I went, 
Apostle Dale came and delivered a word to me. And part of that word was that the Lord is expanding the vision on the inside of you. And He's getting you to see bigger. And it was like all this prophecy about seeing bigger and, and having a greater vision. And much like God brings Abraham outside and says, look at the stars to get a bigger vision on the inside of him. I believe that because that was one of the things that Apostle Dale prophesied. He said, it's not about just climbing a mountain. Right? And so what happened on that, I believe that's exactly what happened on that mountain, is I came home with a much bigger vision. Things that God had showed me and spoken to me while I was on the mountain. Well, one of the things that he had said to me, he said, get your pilot license. He didn't give a timeline. He didn't say when. He just said, get your pilot license. Okay. In fact, I shared it with the other guys there that were I was climbing with. And um, I come home and... I went down to Smoketown, I went over to Lancaster, and I called a place that I knew in Colorado, and I called uh, some friends of a friend in Oregon, and got prices from all the different places, what's possible, what's required, what does it take, what's the cost, how, how long would it take, and um, all these things. So the cost, um, the cheapest quote I had was $11,000, the most expensive was $16,000, and um, so I'm like, okay, so I've done all my homework. I know what's required. I know what it would take. Here's the cost. So, Lord, when you provide those finances, then I'll go, I'll go do it. Not realizing I'm being disobedient. I didn't mean to be disobedient. That wasn't my intention. I just thought, okay, you said do it. Now when you provide a way, I'll do it. And um, maybe along about the last weekend of April, this year. I'm standing right here. We're singing the song, I Surrender. And um, as I often do in those kind of songs, I just said, Lord, I surrender everything to you. I surrender everything I have, everything I am, every word you've ever given to me, every promise, every blessing, every assignment. I lay it at your feet. And I only want to pick up what you tell me to pick up. And in that moment, I sensed the Lord Jesus standing in front of me. Now, was he physically standing in this? But in the spirit, that's what I was seeing. Him standing in front of me, and I could tell he wasn't pleased. Right? And this is what he said. He said, didn't I tell you to get your pilot's license? And you know, when the Lord says something to you, there is a certain clarity that comes with it. That suddenly you see clearly. And I knew in that moment that there is no excuse of finances, no excuse of waiting for someone to show up with $11,000 is going to cut it. I said, yes, sir, you're right. Yes. You and see, one of the things I had begun to question was, did I really hear the Lord on the mountain? Maybe I was just, you know, altitude, you know. Maybe it was high and I was excited about climbing the mountain and just imagining things, you know. Maybe I didn't hear right. Maybe it's my desire. And just having some of those things, the Lord knew that. And the next thing he said, he said, I told you when you were on the mountain to get your pilot's license. Yes, that's right. I said, I will go out Monday morning to Smoketown and I'll sign up immediately. And he says, no, go down there and talk to them. Go to Lancaster, talk to them, and then come back to your office and talk to me. I said, okay. Then I hear on the inside, again, I'm not hearing an audible voice, okay? This is all on the inside. I hear him say, how do you see yourself in the airplane? I guess like in a small airplane. 
He said, you're seeing too small. You need to have a bigger vision. That's going to be a bigger plane, and it's going to have more than one engine. Okay, all right. You know, it's, it's easy. If you're just willing, it's easy to submit and say, all right, Lord. Again, how? Is that all going to happen? Don't have a clue, but okay, yes, yes. And so um, I go home. Monday morning, I go down to Smoketown. I go over to Lancaster. I talk to them. I come back to my office. I pray. I talk to the Lord. And the Lord said, okay, now... Um, go do it in Colorado. And so I called them up. How fast can we do it? Well, we, we think we could do it in two weeks. We've never done it, but we believe that there's, if we followed this certain program, we could do it. And the other people, when I went on Monday and talked to them, the other places, they were all like, you know, if you're super sharp and smart and really apply yourself and are an exceptional student, maybe four months. And so, so I was like, okay, two weeks, yeah. I mean, if the Lord, if I'm in trouble for not obeying already, I'm not going to delay, you understand? So on the way home that night from the service, I'm sharing with Jen what the Lord said to me. And, and she's like, yeah, well, then we need to get, the, get it done. And I said, you know, the last thing I will be caught doing is not getting my pilot's license. I don't care how, what I have to do, what monies I have to use of ours, but we're going to do it. And so I took money from our, our housing uh, fund that we've been saving up for as a down payment for a house and pay add just under 13,000 in in all so um, but there's more that comes with it right it's going to cost about that much again for uh, to get my instrument rating which makes so that you can fly in bad weather and and you're just a lot safer pilot by having an instrument rating and so I'm going to begin working on that um, I believe I'll do that here at home um, and not have to go anywhere, so I'll do that either out of Lancaster or Smoketown. And then um, after that comes a multi-engine rating, which is um, a couple. Um, so that's where, that's where I'm headed and, and what I'm going to be doing. Now, let's talk about some of the whys. What are, what are the reasons? Why should we, why should I? Because one of the things that we need is an airplane then. You know, what good does a license do if you don't have an airplane, right? So, need an airplane. So, I've been looking at airplanes on, online. I mean, I'm not buying one tomorrow, but I'm looking. Getting acquainted with what's the price. And so, for like a six-seater, single-engine six-seater, we started there. That's like, uh, you know, $250,000 for an airplane. And so, it's like, mm. And, um, <laughs> you know, if you get... You know, you can spend three or four hundred thousand on a on a on a bigger plane. But all that being said, you know, if somebody walked up to us today, if if Keith Moore, Kenneth Copeland walked up to us and said, Here, I'm giving you my jet, we'd have to believe God for funds to fly it, let alone own it or buy it, right? Because it's expensive, those big, big jets to fly. On the smaller ones, it's not so expensive, but it still takes funds. And um so looking at all of this and saying, all right, Lord, why? What, what's the end game? What's the purpose? Because I don't want any part of any of this if he's not in it. Right? Not just for the sake of doing it. Because we're believing God for, for a building, finances to be able to build our building or buy a building, our own place where we can have meetings however, whenever we want. Um, we're believing God, you know, personally, we're believing God for house money, um, now plane money, and... Um, on and on and on. So one of the things that I believe, um, the things that are going to play into this is, is for the purposes of ministry and 
flying ministers to places and in our church planting. You know, since all that time is when the Lord had then given us that directive to plant churches. And we're looking at Richmond, Virginia. We're looking at uh, up in Connecticut. Both are four hours away by car. Both are an hour by small plane. Right? So suddenly you can see, oh yeah, you can take off in the morning, go there, and have church service. And so just looking at all these things, and I know that those two places are only the beginning of what the Lord, you know, from the very beginning of this church, Church of the Word International, word and vision to this church was to plant churches up and down the eastern seaboard. So that has yet to happen, right? We have one in Colorado, we have one here. And so now we're praying about these other places, and so step by step, um, the whole pilot thing and flying, that'll grow as we grow, I'm sure. I mean, we're not going to get the cart in front of the horse. I can say that, right? We're in Lancaster. Not going to get the buggy in front of the horse. Um, but those are things to believe with, believe for. So, so let's believe God for finances, for all of that, and for vision, and that we hit His will, His mark, His destiny in it. And um, that we don't ever get caught up in doing something just, it's, just because, well, the Copelands did it, or just because, and, and I can easily discredit, um, not discredit, do away with the Copeland excuse because we're not trying to be like Copeland. They had oil wells. I mean, that's how they made so much money is they drilled oil on their land that they bought and that paid for many things, right? And so that was a huge blessing to their ministry. And that's how it should be, right? But we're not trying to be, be them. We're not trying to be these other places with airplanes. We're just going to be what God wants us to be, whatever that looks like, all right? All right, I've kept you really long. I apologize. Um, trading, yeah. So taking our, our housing fund, we still have way more housing fund left than what we started with when I began trading, airplane stuff. And um, so we're, we're really grateful for God's provision on that. If you want to believe with me for something personally, is for success in those trading, that it would grow and be able to, and that your finances will grow same because you're going to have a part of it too right i'm just like you can designate money for a building fund in this place or for any mission um, because see church planning is missions here right that's all it is it's just missions at home and so um, you can designate funds to the church project building project or church planting or airplanes for that matter or whatever so you guys be directed um, by the lord to do is Stand with me if you would. Worship team, you can come. And then let's just pray and say some things. <clears throat> say this to the Lord. Lord, you are my source and my provider. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for giving me abilities to bless. Thank you for giving us financial increase. Thank you for giving us more than enough. To accomplish all that you set before us. We see and know the will of God clearly in this house. The Lord reminded me of a scripture that I sh Psalm 34, Karen had quoted at the beginning of the service. About taste and see that the Lord is good. This scripture is found in Psalms 27. It says, I am certain. I am certain. That sounds confident, doesn't it? Sounds full of faith. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Let's just say that. I am certain that I will see 
the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. So then he says, wait for the Lord. Be expectant. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. He will strengthen. He will sustain. just sang a song that we believe in God, the God of miracles. We said, we believe in you. When we were singing that, the Lord said, tell them that I believe in them. At that moment, my granddaughter put a broken gold necklace in my hand. It's broke. And he said, tell them that in all the broken places in their life, all the times they think they miss me, all the bunny trails, all the places in their life that they didn't feel that they pleased me, that they missed me, tell them that I'm going to redeem it all. Keep going forward is what he's saying. Keep stepping one step ahead every single day is precious and it's a gift that your father is giving you and he's in it he's for you he's not looking at these broken pieces of your life he's not looking at them so don't you look at them believe that he believes in you and everything that he had in his heart before the foundations of the earth is going to come to pass in your life So let's just lift our hands and thank the Father for that. He is so worthy of our love, our thankfulness, our majesty. He's so worthy of all the glory and honor. He is a father. He is a good father. He's a faithful father. And he is to us personally every day of our life. He believes in you. Believe it. Father. 
honor you, O King of kings. How we love you, Lord. You are our loving Father. You are our Prince of Peace. How we love you too. asking for more of your spirit fill me full and overflowing thank you Lord so now say I am full of the Spirit of God full of the Spirit of God hallelujah children 
when you think of what's going on in this world, and most of you don't even know what the enemy's doing. He's a defeated foe. And I will have my way. And I will use you. Things I have planted in your hearts. It's like Pastor said. Things that he almost buried. But I'm not done. <laughs> I'm not done with you. This church is a church after my own heart. Has been for a long time. And I'm grooming people. I'm grooming people to do things they never thought they would do. Don't cut me short. I'm much bigger than you think. And I've called you to do things you never dreamed of doing, or maybe only dreamed of doing. The anointing power of the Holy Spirit is very real. Very real. But you have to get to know him. You have to spend time in the word. You have to spend time with me. You have to spend time on your knees. And these times will take you to your knees. That's a good place to be. Because I honor that. I honor that. So as I speak to you, that still small voice, don't discount it. Even though you think it's too big. Don't discount it. Remember, I'm real. I'm God. I created heaven and earth. I created each of you to be and do and fulfill great and mighty things in these days. You're my hands. You're my feet. Be willing to do that. Be willing to follow that still small voice. Because I love you. You're my children. I've called you and I will call you for greater and mightier things than you ever dreamed of. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be givers. And as you give, I will give. <laughs> it's in the word, you know. Thank you, Lord. The best is yet to come. Mm. No matter the price of fuel or rent or inflation, the best is yet to come. Amen. I was going to remember to tell you two things. I'm trying to remember what the second one was. So, uh, oh, three things. Okay, got them. So, uh, remember those of you that are in the VBS meeting to come forward right after the service, and that'll happen up here. Also, there are some others of you that I requested a meeting with right after the service. We'll do that. Those of you know who you are. We'll do that in that uh, room right before the kitchen, um, down there right beside the kitchen, in the elementary, maybe it is. And um, we'll do that right after the service as well. Um, and then uh, the third thing is if any of you are looking to or know of someone who is looking to go into a partnership on an airplane, 
let me know. All right? Maybe you've had a dream of owning a plane and doing some flying. So if that's you, let me know because um, I would be very interested in something like that. As well as if you know of any pilots that would like to get in some more flying time, let me know. That would be interested in flying with me. Um, I, would, I would welcome that input from you all. So thank you very much. One way that we love God is do what he says. And he said love each other. So love on each other as you go tonight. everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International. We're so happy that you're all here tonight. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for coming. Heather, thanks for coming. <laughs> it's great to see everybody's face. I hope you're enjoying your summer and enjoying Jesus in your summer. He is loves spending time with you no matter what you're doing. Amen. I would like to encourage you in our worship time tonight. You know, this we're not just getting together to sing songs together. It's not what it's about. We're getting together to worship our Heavenly Father and thank Jesus and the Holy Spirit in our life. And Psalm 34 will give us some of those encouragements. I love this psalm. But look what it says in verse 4 of 34. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me of all my fears. The angel of the Lord encamps around and about those who fear him, reverence him, honor him, and he delivers them. These are beautiful promises from the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them from all their trouble. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. Aren't you so glad for those promises? So what, what do we do? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make boast. Boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Fear him, all you saints, for there is no want for those who reverence him, who honor him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord, those who seek the Lord, prioritize the Lord, intentionally spend time with the Lord, they will lack no good thing. Is that beautiful? So these are reasons that, that we need a reason other than our great salvation, the shed blood of Jesus on each one of our lives. You know, I, I just want to share this. I've been gone and, and I was at a pool one day and I was 
talking to a Mormon couple who had just moved there that week. And they said they were Mormons. They had, you know, gone to the, going to the Latter-day Saints. They were the kindest, nicest people that you'd ever want to meet. Just sweet people. And, you know, we talked a little bit, the kids, and then other people came in, friends that they knew. And I sat back and I looked at this couple. And I said, Lord, without Jesus in their life, they're not going to spend all of eternity with you. You can be as sweet and as good and as wonderful as possible in life. But if Jesus is not in your heart, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you have not come to the one true God, not a counterfeit, not a replacement, but the one true God, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for each one of us, God himself. And I sat back and I wept and I said, Father, thank you so much that you drew me to yourself by your Holy Spirit. And the Lord very sweetly said, you were in that position at one time, but you responded to truth. You responded to me. You said yes. So I prayed for this couple. I just sat there and prayed for this couple because there's so many out there that are sweet and good, but they don't know Jesus. They don't know the Jesus of the Bible. They know a counterfeit one. But aren't you glad that you are sitting in this place tonight yes. and you know the one true Jesus is God and he saved you. He died for you on the cross. He shed his blood. He was buried for three days. He rose again from the dead and was ascended and now sits at the right hand of the Father interceding and praying for each one of us on a daily, minute-by-minute -minute basis. Is that enough to praise the Lord for? Well, let's all stand up together as family. And let's just thank him from the depths of our heart. Let's rattle the, fl the flags tonight and let them know how grateful we truly, truly are. Amen. much Jesus Jesus there's such power in that name there's power the devils tremble at the name of Jesus it should drip from your mouth Jesus 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 such power in that name that holy righteous perfect name we're so grateful tonight we're just grateful we're so thankful for Jesus who lives within us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. The greater one lives within each one of us who have called upon the name of Jesus.
confessed him as Savior and Lord and believed on him, received him, and trust him. Psalms 37 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will bring it to pass. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't fret. For the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Father, we are just so grateful tonight to be gathered together as a family of God. Boy, we don't take this moment for granted, not one time. Saturday night is precious for this family. Precious because you come and you're in each one of us. And Father, we're just so thankful for the blood of Jesus tonight. Thankful for the anointing on the word of God as it goes forth tonight. Father, we just declare that our hearts are supple. They're good ground to receive what you have for each one of us individually. A word that will change our life forever. Father, change us. Purge us. Prune us. Do what you need to do to get us more and more like your son, Jesus, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. Have your way as we surrender and submit to you tonight. In this time of worship, Father, we've gathered to worship you in spirit and in truth. The truth of your word, Father, is forever settled. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus said, I am the truth the way, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus, you are the one true God. And we worship you tonight. We honor you tonight. We celebrate your presence here with us tonight. So have your way. Move and and speak and touch and as you will tonight. Our hearts are open to receive. So thank you in advance for what you're going to do in each and every one of us. We give you all the praise and all the glory in the mighty name of Jesus. Well, one way we honor God is by honoring one another. One way we thank God is by thanking and appreciating one another. And one way we love God is by loving one another. So turn to your neighbor and honor, thank, and love in Jesus' name. Well, good evening, everyone. I see y'all are... Excited to talk to everybody. That's a good thing. Glad to see that. Everybody is enjoying each other's company. Well, if you're here for the very first time, we'd like to welcome you to Church of the Word International. Can you just raise your hand so we can see who you are? We're not going to make you do anything embarrassing or anything like that. Okay. All right. She's been here before. Well, we're glad to see you. All right, well, we're going to return the tithe to the Lord, so if you need a cash envelope for your giving, uh, you can raise your hand, and our ushers will bring you one. If you're giving by credit card, please fill out all of the blanks. They are all needed. And we're going to just return the tithe to the Lord because, you know, it belongs to him. He said so. And, you know, in the same chapter in Malachi where he said it belongs to him, he says, he prefaced it with, I, the Lord, do not change. So we're just going to go with that. The Lord said what he said, and he meant what he said. He doesn't change. The tithe belongs to him. 
So tonight, what I want to encourage you in is, is an offering. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm not saying this because I think y'all are lacking in this area. Honestly, this is a giving, mission-minded church, and you guys excel in this. But that's just what I had in my heart was to exhort you a little bit in this area. And so we're just going to kind of make a, a wide sweep through a fast march, if, you'll, if you will, through chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, here in 2 Corinthians. And two things I wanted to have stand out to you. I want you to see that Paul referenced giving or offerings as a service, let's see, it says service to the Lord's people and also that it demonstrates your love. So I want you to see that, just a couple of things here. So he starts out here in chapter 8. He's talking to the Corinthian people, but he brings up the Macedonian people. And he uh, uses them as an example of how, in spite of severe trial and extreme poverty, that they gave very generously. So that didn't hold them back. Um, Verse 3 here says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability entirely on their own, so not under compulsion, out of a free, loving, free will heart. It says they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege, for the privilege, look how it says that, of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. I want you to notice that phrase, service to the Lord's people. It's four times, I think, throughout this this chapter, it references offerings as a service to the Lord's people. You know, I don't think they stayed in this abject poverty state one bit. These people were in faith. They considered it a privilege, and they were excited. They says they urgently pleaded. You know, have you ever had somebody who, you know, from your estimation, you feel like, you know, you need it worse than me, you know, kind of thing, and they just want to give you something? That's what I think is going on here. They were pleading, like, like, come on, let me bless you. We want to bless you. We want to honor. We want this opportunity to sow. And that's faith. That's faith. And, and the word's true. So as you see in, in further, in chapter 9, it talks about as you sow, you reap, and things like that. These people didn't stay where they were at. That's the way out. So you see that. And then um, Paul encourages them, says they're, how they're excelling in many things, in many areas. And he says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, verse 8. It says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So he, he is somewhat referencing the Macedonian church, but now he goes on and compares it with Jesus. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, say me, through his poverty might become rich. So he compared it with the love that Jesus had. Jesus gave a pretty big offering to leave the riches of heaven, the glories of heaven. I mean, what you can't even put a number on the price of that offering. You know what I think? This is just a side note. I think it's just a slap in Jesus' face when you say, you know, God don't want me rich. When you say, oh, there's something holy about being poor. You know, we, we can't get, you know, just this, we need this mediocre, barely scraping by mode because we couldn't be too rich. <laughs> Jesus gave it up for you, I mean, so that you were able to, do, to be rich. So 
it's just a side note here in case you're wondering about the meaning of rich. Rich, here in the Greek, it says it means to be rich, to have abundance of outward possessions, metaphorically to be richly supplied, affluent in resources so that he can give blessings of salvation to all. That's pretty plain. We're not talking about just something, you know, there is to be, you know, you prosper as your soul prospers, but this is talking about outward possessions. So then just marching on through here, through this chapter, um, so they're getting Titus. They, they choose Titus to take this offering. Verse 19 says, what is more, he was chosen, Titus, by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order, now I want you to see this, in order to honor the Lord himself. You see that? This offering was, he calls it a service to the Lord's people, but he says, this is, we're honoring the Lord. Now keep going, says, and to show our eagerness to help. So it was a demonstration of love and honor to the Lord and demonstrating that they were eager and willing and, and wanting to help in this. All right, so verse uh, chapter 9, we're going to see a couple things here. It says, there's no need to me to write, for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people. Say, say offerings. So I, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. It didn't stir all of them stirred most of them. Why? Because you and I are responsible for our heart. The Lord wants our willing heart. That's, our heart is the ground, right? And so that is, you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And for whatever reason, some of these people caught faith, caught that desire to love and honor the Lord, and then there were some that just weren't. Um, so now we're we got the verses that we're very familiar with about sowing sparingly and reaping sparingly or sow generously, reap generously. And he keeps on coming down here to verse 12. And we're going to see this again. This is really where I read these verses and Lord was like, okay, and I think this is where I'm supposed to read tonight. And he kept having me backtrack because I said, well, what's the service? Verse 12 says, this service, what's the service? The offering. If you keep backing up, he's talking about this collection, this, this offering, this um, service, he calls it, that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Verse 13, because of the service the offering by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Um, I read this in the ISV. I'm going to read this real quick to you because I really thought it brought it out well. It says, because your service in giving proves your love, you will be glorifying God as you obey what your confession of the Messiah's gospel demands since you are generous in sharing with them and with everyone else. What is the Messiah's gospel? The love command. That is the one command we've been given is to love. And this is just, I wanted you to see how Paul's referencing offerings, giving as a service to God's people 
And then he tied it in there with, you know, called it, as we honor the Lord, you know, one place is, several places he's calling it a service to God's people, but then he says, but it's honoring the Lord, and it's demonstrating love. So I just felt like that's what the Lord had for us tonight, to just guard against a flippant, and you know what, offerings are no big deal, it's whatever, God don't really care. No, he cares a lot. It's a big deal to the Lord. You know, and for that matter, if, if it wasn't such a big deal, you know, if you think back to the first offering that we have record of, um, Cain and Abel, one had a heart of love. Nobody, no law was telling him to bring the Lord an offering, but there was a heart that said, Lord, I just want to bless you. I just want to love you. I just want to do something good for you. And he gave an offering. And, and that's what, so it's a big deal to the Lord, and we ought not just be flipping, and um, all of that. So let's take a hold of our tithe, and let's pray over that and our offerings, anything we brought for the Lord tonight. Lord, we are so grateful that you love us, that you care about us, that you would go to such a, an extreme to give us your son, that you would, because you love us, you gave. And because Jesus loved you, he emptied himself, that he left the glories of heaven for us. So we just so gladly present you our offerings, gladly return the tithe. We're just thankful that you are a good provider. Now, we don't have to look to our own uh, resources, our own strengths and abilities that we have someone greater and bigger than us to rely on and to see us through. So we just thank you for your promises, and we thank you for your provision. In Jesus' name, and amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give it to the Lord. All right, I have multiple things to mention in the bulletin. We have a very short but important meeting for all those helping with VBS. And that's going to be here right after the service, here in the sanctuary up front. So if you can just, you know, um, make it up here as fast as possible, that would be great. The youth and young adult impact, that's happening tomorrow. Uh, Afternoon, I believe they're going to be setting up for VBS, and then the meeting's going to be after the setting up takes place. Wednesday, July 20th, so that's next week. Is that right? Next week. Uh, Pastor Sid is going to be preaching in the campground across the street, 6.45 to 8 p.m. So if you're bringing kids for VBS and you want to just go on over there, Pastor Sid's going to be preaching um, at the camp meeting grounds. All right. I think that's all that I have in the bulletin. Um, Did we find Monica? Is she here? Right here. Monica is here. All right. Okay, well, I'm going to bring up Pastor Sid, and we're going to uh, let him share what's on his heart. You just stay here with me for a little bit. Monica, why don't you come up here, too? Then uh, I won't feel so alone if I have the two of you with me. Monica, as you know, turn around and face everyone so that we can properly embarrass you. You know, she has been leading our um, food and fellowship time downstairs after the service, organizing that and um, for quite a long time now, and she's done a very, very good job with it, and uh, she asked to be relieved of the responsibility, 
And so we are, uh, we'll talk about Cindy in a moment here. And um, so Cindy's going to take her place, but we just want to thank her. So after the service, make sure you give her a hug and, and thank her for what she's sown into your belly over the last number of years. So thank you. So Cindy, why don't you come? We have flowers for you too. She has agreed to take on this task of uh, bringing snacks and treats to everyone. So uh, we thank you so much for serving. You know, the service that you give to people is to the Lord. I mean, it can be. It's not always, but it can be. And so we want to remind all of you, if you're serving at any place, it doesn't matter if it's on the drums, you know, at greeter at the door, um, if you're one of the teachers, whatever, wherever you're serving, or maybe you're serving during the week when no one's here in cleaning or in something like that, you know, do it as unto the Lord and He makes sure that there is a reaping that takes place to those things, right? And so put your faith on Him for that. Okay, we have uh, someone else we want to honor. So, um, Daryl and Reba, would you come up here, please? Daryl and Reba have led our children's ministry for five years, nine months. I was looking in our, in our records. And so it was a long time. They did a really good job. And uh, here is a gift for you guys as well. You know, you guys sewed into the future church in a big way. And so we're really grateful for that. (laughs) I'm going to cry if I'm not careful. (laughs) So thank you so much for serving the Lord and His His future generations in this way. Why don't you just stretch out your hands and let's pray over them. Father, I thank you for your goodness in this way and for sending this precious couple to us and that they ministered to our children, to the future church. Lord, bless them, cause them to increase and have an abundant harvest on what they've sown. I thank you for it in Jesus' name and amen. You may be seated. And as you know, a number of weeks ago when we um, made that transition, Daryl and Reba weren't here with us that weekend, but we had uh, brought Kelly up and introduced Kelly as leading our uh, children's ministry going forward. So we are a place, a house that is just full of serving people, serving people. And let me say this too about um, Reba and Daryl. They're not going anywhere. You know, they're still involved in the children's ministry, just not leading it. And so uh, we are very, very grateful for their service. Also, um, next weekend. Now, the last weekend of July every year, we have what we call as our annual missions Saturday used to be Annual Mission Sunday. I even wrote it that way at first tonight when I wrote it out. But now that we meet on Saturday, it's Saturday, all right? 
And um, what we do at that annual mission meeting is we come together and we uh, look at what did we do in the last calendar year, July to July, and, um, or August through July, I should say, and uh, what amount did we give into missions. And, you know, when, when you do the amount that you do by yourself may not seem so significant, but when you add it with what everyone else is doing, and then you hear that, you're like, wow, we did a lot. You know, uh, Pastor Jen was talking about um, that this church is a giving church, and that's very, very true. When you look at, at national averages of what a church gives per person, we are off the charts in this house. I mean, we do what a, a congregation three or four times this size does, right? And so the only reason for that is because people in here have grabbed a hold of that truth and that they are kingdom-minded and they put their money where their heart is, and that's in the kingdom. And so um, what we've been doing at our annual missions weekend, we have looked at the numbers of what we did in the past year, and then we make a faith promise to the Lord of what we want to do in the next calendar year. And that faith promise is between you and the Lord. No one holds you accountable to it. It's as the Lord enables you, I am going to do X, right? Whatever it is. We fill out some papers with that. We add that number up and then we say, all right, here's what we're believing for collectively in the year going forward. So I said all of that to say we're not going to do that at the last weekend of July, like we normally would, we're going to do it next weekend, all right? So come prepared for that to take place next weekend. Be praying about, Lord, what would you have me do through, from August to through July of next year, and um, be prepared to fill out a paper, uh, that, or, yeah, to put the numbers together. We're not keeping track of who did what. We throw all that away. But we'll talk about that next weekend and how we do that, okay? By the way, the announcement of the service next Wednesday that I'll be uh, speaking at over in the campground, um, I think it's at 6.45 to, I don't know what the time was. I'm not preaching that long, right? The teaching will be short, but the service, I believe, is that length. So come out. The theme is missions. And so uh, if you have a heart for that, come out. You can come out the entire week, right, Troy? Uh, it's all week long, Monday through Friday? Yeah, every evening. They're having uh, the mission, and that's what it's themed on, or meetings, and that's what it's themed on is, is uh, world outreach, all right? And so everyone is welcome to that.